Have you ever watched a movie or maybe a live performance where you were just totally into it? Now, I don't mean like when you go to Yaz Mall and you want to go watch a movie and there's some Habibi over there on his phone and you're just like, okay, you pay to come watch the movie and you're, you're looking at your phone and it's distracting me because I want to watch the movie. I'm not talking about that because that person is not into what's happening in front of them. They're into their phone, which is a distraction. I'm talking about have you ever been in a situation where you're just like you're mesmerized, where you're, you're watching a performance and, and you like lose yourself and you're just in awe and you're just captivated. You are enthralled. Have you ever been enthralled by someone or by something? When what you're doing, you're immersed in a situation where you're seeing something amazing happening in front of you or something that is just thrilling or that's just so beautiful that you, you just feel you're captured and all of your attention is just focused on what's in front of you. You're enchanted. You are enthralled. In our daily lives, every one of us is going to be enthralled by something. We're going to be. That's how God made us. So by our very design, we want to be thrilled. We do. And if you don't believe me, why do you think that video gaming has become such an addiction today? Because you have this whole generation of young people that want to be thrilled and lose themselves in this other world, this digital world, and so they get addicted to video gaming. Why do you think they're addicted to gambling? Because of the thrill that comes with, I just might win one more, I'll get it this time, and you won, you, you, you're thrilled and you're excited at the prospect of winning, and so you get hooked on gambling. Why do so many people, sadly, far too many, throw away their soul, they throw away their marriage, their families, their ministry, their lives, their calling, their finances, their career, they throw it all away for the thrill of an affair. Why do we do that? Because deep inside of us, God has wired us to desire to be enthralled with something outside of ourselves. We want this. But it's also the reason why we go on just amazing or marvelous holidays or buy the newest electronic that has really the same things that the previous year has. It just costs more. But it's thrilling to open the package. Oh, I got the new one. It's like, oh, it's out. It's, are you serious? The other one is perfectly good. But it's thrilling to have the newest one. It's why you pursue passionate romantic relationships. Why you want that. You want to be enthralled. Today we're going to consider what it means to be enthralled with Jesus. To be thrilled by Jesus. I mean, we sing it. We, we just sung songs that brought us into the very presence of our God, and we're singing songs that it's all about Jesus, that to live is Christ, and that he is our everything. 
And so we sing this, but do we believe this? Do we live this out day in and day out, or do we just sing it on a Friday? So in this final preaching series that I have the privilege of preaching here at New Life Church, it's a series called Who We Must Be. Who New Life Church Must Be. And so we are considering some non-negotiables. These are some characteristics that must define this faith family in order for her to be successful. Success for a church, I mean, that, that is quite a, quite a phrase, isn't it? Because how do you even define what success is for a church? Well, when I'm talking about success, when I say that my heart is to see New Life Church be truly successful. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about seeing transformed lives that are reflecting the character of God. That is success. Changed lives. Accomplished through the Spirit as His Word is proclaimed, as we have Christ-centered community Around his word, his spirit then transforms us and we then display the glory of God. This is success when a church displays God's character. And this is only possible if the members of that particular faith family, in this case New Life Church, are Jesus-enthralled followers. And so this is who we must Jesus-enthralled followers, where our attention is so focused on Jesus. Our eyes are fixed on him because we were made to be thrilled deep in our souls by Jesus. So maybe, maybe you remember a time, maybe for you it was a long time ago, when, but you can remember when you really were enthralled by Jesus. You were really into Jesus. You felt really close to him. You were walking with him. You were on fire for Jesus. Do you remember that? Maybe today you're thinking, man, that was so long ago. I feel so cold and, and just so distant from Jesus now. I'm just kind of going through the motions. I'm in survival mode as a believer. Maybe you're here and you're hearing this talk of, of being enthralled by Jesus and you think, well, that's never been me, Pastor. I'll be honest. I've never been really enthralled with Jesus. That's, I've never had that experience. Well, my prayer has been, including earlier this morning, that, that God would just spark a fire in your soul that you would see the beauty of Jesus. You would be so thrilled and enthralled by him that your heart would just burn for Jesus, that because he wants you to know him and to enjoy him and then to go out of the overflow of that, to go make him known among those that are far and lost. You know, the Bible, this is a whole sermon for a different day, probably not at this church, our, our weeks are expiring, but the Bible is the greatest love story. It really is. I mean, you watch so many movies that are all about romance and love stories, and, and you read books that are all about ro romance, and you turn the radio, every single song is about romance, it seems like, in some capacity. And it's like our world is just addicted and just wants romance. And do you know why? Because God made you to love you. 
And so the reason why we want that and our human relationships are designed to reflect the ultimate love that God has for us. And so when I say that the Bible is the ultimate love story, what you see is God made you and he made you to love you and he made so you can love him and enjoy him forever. But then he lost you because of sin, because of our own rebellion. God lost his love. He, he lost you. But then he moved heaven and earth to get you back. This is the gospel. God coming in, piercing our darkness, coming to save his love, his bride. This is the narrative of the Bible. It is a remarkable story of love. The ultimate romance, if you will, but not the way we think of it. I'm talking about eternal and holy and perfect God with his people forever. So he has made us to be Jesus' enthralled followers, where he is our obsession, if you will. Let me read to you out of Luke chapter 9 as we begin to understand this. Luke chapter 9, we'll be in one paragraph. Verses 23 through 27. God's word says, And he said to all, this is of course Jesus speaking, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains a whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Amen. Understanding our purpose to be enthralled by Jesus is connected to the fact that he is the king and has come to establish his kingdom. It's not a surprise that he references the kingdom of God in verse 27. If you go backwards five chapters in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus said, I must preach the good news. I must preach the gospel. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. So Jesus says he must preach the gospel of the kingdom. He says, for I was sent for this purpose. You hear that? He says, my purpose, the Father sent me to proclaim the gospel and establish my kingdom. So by proclaiming the gospel, he is establishing his kingdom. And this is why he came. It's his purpose. And so everything that Jesus did is about this singular purpose. Everything. And so when he loved that sinner, it was for this purpose. Establishing his kingdom. When he would heal the sick, he was establishing his kingdom. When he would preach the gospel, he was establishing his kingdom. When he did the miraculous, walking in water, feeding the 5,000 when he died on the cross, was resurrected powerfully, and won the victory over the grave, 
all of it was working towards establishing his kingdom. So it's all for the purpose of establishing the kingdom of Christ. And so Jesus is not just a religious leader. He's not just a good moral guru. He's not. He's not. He's not just a good example of how you can love and sacrifice and love other people. That's not Jesus of the Bible. That is the Jesus of our own imagination, of our own making. Jesus of the Bible is the creator. He is the king of glory. He holds the whole universe together by the power of his word. This is who Jesus is. He is the author of life, and he is the, the uh, I'm losing my place here. Sometimes it's hard to even think I'm talking about Jesus. He is the fountain of life. He is living water. He is bread from heaven. Jesus is our everything. He is God in the flesh. What we have with Jesus when you reading about who he is, understand the context of who Jesus is. He's not just some moral guy that established a religion. And he is our God. And so what you are seeing here when Jesus makes this call, it is all about the kingdom. Because remember, as Paul says in, in Romans, it is from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is Jesus. And so we exist to bow down in humble worship before him. He is the sovereign of the universe. And so this is our purpose, is to worship our God, Jesus, the King, the Savior King, who has showered us with his mercy. And so we exist to humbly submit ourselves to his authority. Jesus' reign is a reign of grace, but it is still his reign. He is the ruler. So when you see in Luke 9, 27, and he says that some people here says, will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God, understand that Jesus is full kingdom will be consummated and established completely one day when he returns in full glory, as he references right here in verse 27. So he's going to come back in full glory. He's going to establish his kingdom. And those of us that are trusting in Jesus will be there forever. We will be in his presence, in heaven, in his kingdom forever. But that day hasn't come yet. But he says that some people, it says, will not taste death. He was referring, first of all, in the context, if you look at verse 28, the very next verse, it begins the transfiguration. And so he was referencing in this context that there were some of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, to be specific, that would go up on the mountain and would see Jesus transfigured, which is just pointing to his coming in full glory. And so they got a glimpse of the consummated kingdom transfiguration but it's more than that because even here today we see a glimpse of the glory of God the kingdom of God right here right now as New Life Church gathers together we're seeing we have a taste 
of the consummated kingdom. Now, it's just the first fruits, not the full harvest, but it's real. His spirit is here. All of us that trust Jesus have bent the knee, we bowed our hearts, and we, we trust and we want to follow the king. So we're members of his kingdom right now. And so this is a community of, of the kingdom. That's what this church is. And so in the ultimate sense, we haven't seen the full establishment of the kingdom, but we have the first fruits, and we have a glimpse of it right now. So our passion as members of Christ's kingdom is first to know the king and to obey the king, to worship this king, and then to extend the borders of his kingdom for people that are far from Jesus can come in and be part of his kingdom, experience the joy of knowing Jesus, of being forgiven, of no longer being in the kingdom of darkness, but part of the kingdom of light. So we're ambassadors who represent the king. This is what it is to be a believer. Our passion, our heart's desire should be this purpose. And Luke 9 is describing our purpose. Let's read it again, verses 23 and 24. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. When he says, carry your cross, understand the context. What was a cross for? Execution. It was for killing. So when he says, carry your cross, he's saying, come die. He's talking about death. Let me give you the main idea from this text. Jesus calls us to die so that he can rescue us from death and give us a new life. Let me read this again to you. Jesus calls us to die so that he can rescue us from death and give us new life. Jesus came to give us new life, resurrected Life, a life where we're truly amazed by the beauty and the splendor and majesty and mercy of Jesus and are honestly deep inside thrilled with him, enthralled by him. A life that's marked by surrender to the authority of King Jesus. A life marked by obedience to King Jesus with this, this desire from inside to reflect his glory with all, all of us, our thoughts, desires, Words, actions, everything to be honoring to the king. And so Jesus calls us first to die so he can then rescue us from death to give us new life. So let's look at this primary truth phrase by phrase, those three phrases. And we're going to better understand what this means. And I'll pray that God will open our eyes, that we will understand this. And he will spark that fire in us that will burn hot for the king. So this first part is, number one, a calling to die. So we're seeing here a calling to die. So what he says here, if you want to fulfill your purpose, if you want to be part of me and part of my kingdom, he says you must deny yourself. 
what he says first. Deny yourself. He says your personal agenda, hear me, your personal agenda for your life must die. Your self-focused dreams must die. Your self-centered ambitions or selfish pursuits, your sinful desires must die. He says, deny yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but my observations are that we are not good at this. Like, all of us struggle with this, and you see it from a very young age. I have kids in my house. I, I know, I know. Plus, I was a kid, too, not too long ago. I know what it's like. Like, you go to Yasmal and go to the elevator, and it's a big fight on who's going to push the button. It's like, everyone, I want to push the button. No, oh, you push the button. It's like, oh, my. I'm pushing the button. Like, they're all fighting for that. But it's not even just, yeah, small. It's also whenever you're having breakfast and there's only one serving left of the favorite cereal. And everyone's fighting over the last bowl of cereal. Or they're all fighting on who gets a toy in the box of cereal. It's like, this is just normal having children. And we see, like, oh, my children, this is just human nature on display. That we all want what we want. We all want our needs as we understand them. Sometimes not needs are just selfish wants, but whatever it is, we want and we want. And so we all want to seek to fulfill our desires and have our plan for our lives fulfilled. And so the, the phrase usually goes, God loves and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, usually we say, well, I love myself and I have for plan for my life. And then we say, here, God, here's my plan for my life. Can you please stamp it? Like living here, if they get stamps to authenticate everything, no, 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 you need more stamps. Well, we're like, here, God, we want you to stamp it. It's like, that's not how God works. He doesn't stamp your plan. He doesn't stamp my plan. He has his plan, which is infinitely better than your plan. Because if you had your plan and it worked out, it would destroy you. It would not be good. Because you can't see the whole picture. But God does. He sees, he sees everything. He's got eternal cosmic vision. And so he can see it all. And so he knows what is best for you. So you deny yourself. But then he says, carry your cross. This is power because remember, Jesus never sinned. He was holy and pure, and yet he suffered in my place and in yours. He was a willing sacrifice. The only way that we can be forgiven and be reclaimed and brought close back to God is the Messiah had to die in our place. So those of us that are trusting in Jesus alone, we belong to him because he carried his cross, and he died for you and for me, and of course, resurrected powerfully. He sacrificed for us. And so hear me. The call to follow Jesus is a call to come and die. This is the call to follow Jesus. Every selfish desire must die. Anything that would oppose the kingdom of God must die. Jesus sacrificed his life 
for you, and now he calls you to sacrifice for him. So he says, deny yourself, carry your cross, and then he says, follow me. He didn't say, come follow this religious system. He didn't say, come join this religion. He didn't say that. He said, follow me, focus on me, love me, treasure me, make me your everything, your motive, your goal in life. Come follow me. Salvation is following Jesus. Now, let's just be honest. If you could set the agenda for your life, what do you think it would look like? A, you probably wouldn't be in Abu Dhabi. Let's just be realistic. How many people wake up one day in their native home their normal language where they understand everything about home and then say, oh, I want to leave what's normal and comfortable in friends and family and go to a blazing inferno called Abu Dhabi where nothing is easy. And I'm in transition right now to leave, and so I can tell you it's not easy to, to get out of this place. It's kind of hard. You wouldn't be here likely. You are here because it was God's plan, not yours. And you are here for a purpose. And your being here is to display his glory. And so he orchestrated the circumstances. He arranged the events to put you here. Yes, you had to apply and get things authenticated. And there was a lot of work to get here. God sustained you in that process. But God is sovereign. He brought you here. And so what we're talking about here, following Jesus is following his plan, his vision for your life. He says, deny yourself, carry your cross, and follow me. Where our whole life is surrendered and submitted to the authority of Jesus. Because he is worth it. So we lay down our lives, we, our selfish ambitions, because he is more satisfying. But for some of us, this is a newer concept. Maybe you're just kind of checking this out and you hear the Bible with Jesus saying, deny yourself, carry your cross, and follow me. And you think, man, that sounds kind of harsh. Like, that sounds kind of, kind of cold. Or how do you Christians do that? Or why would you do that? That just sounds kind of off to me. Well, here's why. Jesus makes it hard for you to follow him for a reason. He says, come and die. And he says this because Jesus is smart, right? He's smart. He is, he's all wise. Jesus knows you, and he knows me, and he knows the power of sin in our lives. He knows he knows that sin is desiring something else more than desiring him. And there is no greater treasure than Jesus. And yet, in our foolishness, our sinfulness, our brokenness, we would pursue other things more instead of him. And he knows that that leads to nothing good. And he loves us too much. He knows. He knows that we're going to prefer other things more than him because of our sin. So this is number two. 
number two. So we have a calling to die, number two, being rescued from death. Jesus knows that my sin will lead me down a path that is so self-centered that I will destroy myself and everything around me that I hold dear to me. I will do this and so will you apart from the grace of God. Verse 24, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What I need most is a rescuer. I'm desperate for a rescuer, for a savior, someone to come and save me from myself and from my sin. So the more that you try to find life by your own agenda, the more you're going to just find death. The more you want your selfish agenda to be fulfilled in your life, the more you're going to find death of joy, death of relationships, death of meaning, death of God working in you, death of God's blessings on your life. So just think for a second, I mean really deep inside, if you had it all, and in your mind, whatever it would look like to have it all, if you had it all, do you really believe you would be happy? You're thinking, yes, pastor, I would. Don't, don't speak too quickly, because there are many people that have it all from the world standards, and they are empty. If you had it all, I mean, I'm talking about like the marriage of your dreams, the luxury cars, you know, that fat bank account. If you, if you had it all, do you think that that would make you immune to loss or disease or disappointment or pain? Really? This is a broken and fallen world. No one is immune to the effects of the curse of sin in this world. Ultimately, Nothing that is created can satisfy. And the reason is, going back to this Bible, is the greatest love story. You were made for more. You were made for Jesus. You were made to know him and to glorify him. And it is the enjoying him, the knowing him, that is what is glorifying to him. Verse 25, why Jesus says, For what does it profit a man if he gains a whole world? He has it all and forfeits himself. It's no gain. The whole world would not be enough. It cannot satisfy our purpose. We were designed, we were made to know Jesus and to enjoy him and then to make him known. Why in verse 26, he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. He says, you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. To be ashamed of Jesus is to prefer something else more than Jesus. Again, this is the essence of sin. So left to ourselves, we would all pursue fleeting pleasures and in the end destroy ourselves. If you think about this, this may sound a little bit harsh or, or, or negative, but I'm being honest. 
left to ourselves. It says you will lose your life. We will pursue things that don't satisfy and don't give life. You know what that is ultimately? Spiritual suicide. But it is. We would kill ourselves spiritually, destroy ourselves. Trying to save our lives by human standards, we lose our life. We actually, left to ourselves, would spiritually commit suicide. Every one of us would. We would. So when Jesus says, come and die, follow me, you know what that is? Mercy. It's mercy. It's a gracious, merciful call by Jesus. Do you see this? Do you see the mercy in his words? In calling you to die, he is actually rescuing you from death. In calling you to die, he is rescuing you from death. He knows. He made you. He knows you. He knows nothing else can satisfy you. But he wants you to experience maximum joy and pleasure. And he knows the things of this world can't do it. So he, he says, Jesus is, is telling you, put down your selfish agendas. And he would speak to you quietly but clearly. And Jesus would say to you, reject the sin. Choose me. Choose life. Choose joy. See, here's a paradox. The world and, and sin, the world promises you life, but in the end, gives you death. Jesus, call, come die. And he gives us new life. This is the power of the gospel. This is the Jesus that we worship. Because abundant, true, real, resurrected, eternal, meaningful life is only found in Jesus, nowhere else. So Jesus' call is mercy. Come and die is actually him rescuing you from yourself. This is glorious. This should leave us stunned and in awe of our King and desiring to praise him and have our lives reflect his character. In asking him to deny yourself and come die, carry your cross. What he's doing is he's offering you what you cannot earn. He's giving you what you can never achieve himself, true joy. Now, you can choose not to deny yourself. You can choose not to follow Jesus. You, you as a free will, moral agent, can choose to reject this call. And you can keep looking for life. And your accomplishments, keep looking for life in, in, in sex and in sports and in whatever, you name it. Keep looking for life, the things of this world, as your ultimate joy and meaning and pleasure. These are not all evil things, but if they become the main thing, if you're asking created things 
to be your everything, your hope and your purpose, what, what gets you up in the morning, what you think about, what you're enthralled by. If you look for life and the things of this world, you will only find death. But if by faith you will follow this call, you will find life because you will find Jesus. Last point here, receiving new life. So this call is a receiving new life. And so Jesus does not mention the kingdom of God in verse 27 randomly or by accident. This is Jesus. It's all on purpose and all planned and all intentional. And so those of us that are trusting in Jesus, we're given new life, members of his kingdom, awaiting that day that it will be consummated in his presence. And your hearts should yearn for that. There should be this aching and this longing for Jesus. Does your soul long for him? Or does it long for other things? As we're waiting for him, as a bride waiting for her groom, as when for him to either return or call us home, we continue to follow him, continue to grow, walking more and more in this newness of life that he has given to us. I love Charles Spurgeon called the Prince of Preachers. This is his quote. I have now concentrated all my prayers into one, that I may die to self and live wholly to him. That's the goal. Die to self and live completely to Jesus. Jesus is a prize and there's no greater gain. We read earlier from Psalm 115 in the worship gathering, and it describes how God is in the heavens, does as he pleases, God is sovereign, he's the one true God, and yet it describes the foolishness of making idols and bowing down to, to idols. And in verse 8 it says, those who make them idols become like them. Hear this. Those who make idols become like them. We become like that which we worship. So whatever you're worshiping, whatever you're enthralled by, is what you are going to then reflect the character of that God. So if you are truly Christ-centered, if you live a, a Jesus-focused, Jesus-enthralled life, you're going to begin to reflect his character, become like him. And what we need most in our lives is to remember Jesus. That's what we need is to remember him every day. But you know our problem is as sinners, we forget. We forget about Jesus and we, we go our own way. I want to give you a few questions here as, as we close. I, I want to, I'm calling these spiritual diagnostic questions. It's here on the screen. Now, what I mean by diagnostic, like, you know your car, if, if you're driving it and it's kind of rough or not really working very properly, you, you go to the mechanic and they run diagnostics on it to see what's wrong with the car so that they can correct it so they can run according to its design. Same thing with the doctor. He wants to diagnose what's wrong with you. So if you're not feeling well, you go and they run tests and check your vitals and then they can have a proper diagnosis and help you to be healthy again. And so we're talking about diagnostic is we're trying talking about a checkup or evaluation to see if you have maybe forgotten about Jesus in daily life or are you really enthralled with him? 
So I want you to really write these down and think about them this week. First question, a diagnostic question for your health spiritually is, am I disappointed with God? Don't answer that too quickly. Ponder it. Am I disappointed with God? Because many of us can follow him and trust him and serve him and truly worship him, but deep down inside, maybe in those dark recesses of our soul, what we really want is something other than Jesus. We want a husband or a wife, or we want a husband who will be different, or a wife that will be different, or we want kids that will be different, or I really want that better job, or I really want more income, or I really want whatever, whatever it is that your heart really wants. And, but sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes he doesn't change. Sometimes you lose your job. Loved ones get cancer. It's a broken world. And it's tragic. But the truth is that Jesus didn't promise us ease. He said, carry your cross. There is a price. Oh, it's worth it. It's Jesus. But there's still a price. And so oftentimes what can happen if we're disappointed is because Jesus isn't giving us what we thought he was going to give us. But he never promised us those things. He promised us himself. And we have him. But we really want other things instead. And so we find ourselves disappointed. And so it's a good exercise to, to ask and evaluate on, am I disappointed? thinking that my agenda isn't being fulfilled. If this is happening to you, ask God for the strength to rest in him. Did you hear that paradox? Ask for the strength to rest in Jesus. Because as fallen humans, we need that. We need to rest our souls and really trust Jesus in the middle of disappointment. But we can't on our own. We need his strength, his spirit to help us, to empower us to rest in him. Another question you want to ask, and the next diagnostic question is, do I lack excitement about God? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I'm gone in two weeks, so I can say this, right? I'm so disappointed most Fridays at 10 o'clock. Because the seats are all empty. You're not even hardly here. There's literally like five people in the room at 10 o'clock. And I see here Wendy and the worship team, and they're trying to lead people to sing who are excited, and no one's in the room yet because you're getting here late. I don't get that. I'm being honest. I don't understand that. I don't know why people come so late. I encourage you to come earlier. Get here at 10. And besides that, get here excited. Get here anticipating to hear from your God in heaven. Come excited to raise your hands and praise him for he is worthy. I don't understand. Some of you that, that do arrive late, but you get here and that's great. I'm glad you're here. So come late. If you're not going to come, come late. I want you to come, but I already come on time. But when you come 
don't just stand there. Like, I see some of you, and you just stand there, and we're singing songs that are just amazing, that describe the glory of Jesus, and you're just standing there. How is that possible? You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. You have his presence. You have eternity waiting for you. Oh, my goodness. How could we as believers be joyless? Look, I understand personalities are different. I get that. But within that, we should be excited and thrilled and enthralled with Jesus. We should sing to him and enjoy him corporately and also privately with your private worship. This should be daily. Excitement over God's calling in your life. But what can happen to us is sometimes is we're more excited about what we think he's going to give us. And so we'll praise him because we're holding out hope that he's going to give us this whatever it is that we think we want. But what if you don't get it? What if he doesn't give that to you? What if he doesn't have that for you? And it's not what's best for you or for his glory. Will you still be excited about him? Will you still praise him? Carry your cross. Deny yourself and follow Jesus. He alone is worth it. There should be an excitement on his calling on your life. And if, and if you're not excited about Jesus, what are you excited about? What thrills you? Because something thrills you. Ask your wives or your husbands. They'll tell you what thrills you. They know. They live with you. Your kids probably know what thrills you. Is it Jesus? It ought to be. This is an important question to do business with God and see where you're at spiritually. Last one here. Last question on this new life that we have. These questions to check our health. Do I like growth in God-like character? Am I changing? Are you changing? I mean this. Is there evidence of true growth in Christ-likeness and God's character in your life? Because if you're not growing, something's wrong. We ought to be changing. Slowly. But surely, I might encourage you. This may be difficult, but I seriously want to encourage you to actually do this this week as you ponder these questions. And maybe you need to sit down with a close friend, maybe in discipleship group or home group, or maybe your wife or your husband, maybe the best person there to live in the home with you, and ask them, do you see me really growing? Do you see me changing? Honey, I'm being honest. Don't hold back. Be, be kind, but speak truth. Be honest, but don't be mean. Love and truth. Balanced. Grace and truth. We need both. You can't have just one. You need both. So we're in love. Will you speak truth to your brother or sister this week? Will you speak truth and tell them an area where they need to change? 
where you see it. You know they need to change, but you're not telling them because it might cause a fight. It's worth the fight if you do it in grace. Understand, there's a caveat. Jesus came in grace and truth. Are you growing? Or is this just a show? You just show up because you're supposed to. Is this real to you? Are you really enthralled with Jesus? You ought to be. I know it's a broken world, and I know there's frustrations and disappointments. Yes, we all go through them. Different levels, but we all have them. But he has given us new life. We can live a life of true joy following Jesus. We can. We have his spirit. We have each other to encourage us. And so what's your motivation to do this? Back to the beginning. Love. This is the greatest love story ever told. Love is a motivation. God loves you. And if you, if you know him, then you love him. And so that's the motivation to go deeper into this love relationship. So don't lose your hope. There's always hope because our hope is in Jesus. God loves you so much. And you know how I know? The cross proves it. While we're yet still sinners, Christ died for us. This demonstrates God's love. So we know that he loves us. Don't let the world deceive you. Don't let the naysayers deceive you. You just shake off the haters and say, I'm following my God. He loves me. And don't worry about those that would criticize you or condemn you because they are wrong. For there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus calls us to die. So that he can rescue us from death and give us new life. This is the message of Luke 9, 23 through 27. This is who we must be. And my heart's desire for this church that I've loved dearly for five years is that this would be a community of truly Jesus-enthralled followers. Because New Life Church, you still have a city to reach. You're not done. You're just getting started. I know we're saying farewell today to a few of our families, but you're not done. There are many more hellos that are still coming of people that we're going to reach. It starts here. It starts now. God wants you to see him at work through you. Are you ready? Are you in? Let's pray. Our most loving Father, we are just so humbled and in awe. We don't deserve you, and yet you have lavished your mercy upon us, and you have saved us from ourselves, and you've given us this merciful call to die to self so that we may truly live. I pray for this church, Lord, that your hand would continue to be upon her, that she continue to make more disciples for your glory, and that she would continue to display 
your character to Abu Dhabi and the nations. And we pray it for the sake of your son, his kingdom. Amen.